the Maximum Meathead Podcast. We are back with another episode of the Maximum Meathead Podcast. And this one is a little bit different. Uh, Joel and I have been MMA... MMA? Fuck. MIA for a little while. And, uh... Yeah, obviously with the COVID stuff going on, we haven't been able to get to the studio or get together with people. So, uh, we've been looking at trying to get set up for the Zoom call stuff and uh, whatever, looking at alternative methods of recording. And in the meantime, uh, I got in contact with Coach Darian Bates, who is from Australia. And we've been talking a bit, and she's actually working with me on my nutrition, which is awesome. But uh, that's new and exciting. But anyway, we got talking about doing an episode, and she graciously said she would be able to record an episode for us, and uh, so that's why this one sounds a little bit different. We've never done a Zoom call before, and we just kind of try to figure it out. So Joel and I got hooked up onto her Zoom thing, and she worked some record magic, and uh, there it is. So moving forward, I think I've got everything pretty much set up to record myself now. Uh, thanks to Thomas at Ice House Studios and Market Full Pop Media, as always, uh, with all your help, I would be definitely banging my head against the wall a lot more than I already am. So anyway, this one sounds a little bit different, set up a little bit differently, but uh, huge thanks to Darian for coming on and giving us her time, and she has a hell of a story and uh, just a fuckload of knowledge. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. If you do, please let us know, but more importantly, let her know, reach out, shoot her a message, Uh, we'll link her obviously in the description and all that, but uh, thanks for coming along for the ride guys, and I'm excited to get recording again, we'll see ya. Am I degenerate if I smoke a joint on this podcast or what? (laughs) (laughs) You do it at the studio if you could, so it's all good. Man. Just gonna be like, where did you find this fucking clown muscle, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> he makes I'm ready anytime. I'm ready to rock. All right. Let's all talk right. some shit. Uh, well, do you want to just say a little bit about yourself, Darian? What you do? Like, you're obviously from Australia. Yeah. Uh, or I don't know that, but I'm assuming you're from <laughs> Australia. Um, yeah, so I'm from Australia, um, down south. So when you guys said my accent was deep, it's not. If you go up north, that's where it gets a lot deeper. Um, but I'm a nutrition coach, so I've been in the industry now for maybe six years, so doing both PT and nutrition coaching. And I guess, like, um, do you want me to go from, like, the full story? Yeah, sure, okay. just the, whatever kind of background you want to get into, absolutely. Okay, so when I was 13, I started dieting, and purely just because I wanted to be – I guess, thinner and prettier. And uh, when I was 14, everyone started getting a little bit concerned because I started developing all these rigid rules and routines. And uh, I guess like um, they were just really unhealthy uh, behaviors and thoughts towards food or exercise. And then when I was 15, um, I was diagnosed with anorexia. But prior to that, I would be going to like the GP. The GP would send me to emergency room. And back and forth, and I probably went every second day to emergency and got sent home telling them that I wasn't sick enough yet to get admitted. The Mm. last time that they sent me home, four hours later, my mom brought me back. Now, I'm not sure if she brought me back um, because I passed out. Like, I don't really remember. Or she brought me back because her and my dad had a big fight about about me and said that I need to be admitted and then went and tried again. 
Anyway, when I went back again, they said that I had to go into ICU because my heart rate was at 28 beats per minute and they couldn't guarantee. Holy shit. Yeah, they couldn't guarantee that I'd make it the night. So my mom was like really frustrated because she's like, you sent her home four hours earlier. Um, but the problem is you go in, they take one set of OBS and then they go, okay, you're right to leave. Um, and I was in ICU for two weeks, then coronary care for two months. And then I was in the eating disorder ward for four months. After that, you get out and you go into outpatients, which is like uh, twice a week and then it goes to once a week and then it goes to every fortnight. I never got past the twice a week stage before I was back in. After that stay, I went into what they call the Butterfly Day Program, which is like uh, you go for school hours, um, but it's just a, a group of girls at the time, there was no males there, um, that have eating disorders. And so we do all this self-help stuff and instead of doing, you know, like science and uh, or whatever you might whatever you might study at school, it's stuff like yoga or journaling or um, and we all had our meals together and things like that. And then I was in there for probably eight months. When I got out of that, it was probably about one more month until I was back in hospital and this time I was in an adult ward because I was 18. Um, I stayed in there for a shorter amount of time. It probably would have been about two months and then I went out and I guess at that point, um, once you turn 18, you can't get admitted into hospital unless you're at home of hurting yourself, which was a huge fear for my mom because she didn't want to get to that stage where she had no control of whether or not she yeah. can help me. Right. Um, but yeah, I started, um, I started training properly and um, I found a love for boxing at the time. And so I started taking up boxing and competing um, for Victoria and the amateurs. And when that kind of happened for me, that was when I, like when I started realizing that I was good at something other than controlling my food and exercise, mm-hmm. um, it was a real driver for me to start putting on some weight so that I could start competing. And um, from there I did well for quite a while and then it turned into more orthorexia. So like really I was a healthy weight and I was really healthy, but it was very strict. Like everything had to be weighed. I wouldn't go eat out with friends or family. And then it turned into um, bulimia. So I started binge eating and purging all the time. And that's sort of where I'm at now is um, struggling with that phase of my life and um, yeah, really trying to do what I can to prevent it from, I guess, controlling me any further. And how old are you now? 26. So yeah, it's been seven, eight, nine, ten years basically, right? You've been yeah, working yeah. on things, progressing through. Yeah, yeah. I would say like from the point that I started dieting, it's been thirteen years that I've been yeah, struggling well. with an eating disorder. Yeah. So when you were thirteen years old, is that start of high school for you in Australia? Like, yeah. what, is, what yes. point of life is that? That's okay. going from like year six to year seven. I'm not sure if it works the same way, but in Australia, year seven's high school. Okay, so oh, well. it's like the next step, right? Yeah. So was that a part of the factor of why you want to get in shape and all that, or is it just that was just a time of just the time it happened? Um, so there's a few things that I've picked on because I've thought about it a lot, obviously, and people ask me how does it start, and I can't pinpoint it. I was bullied in school, but not because of my looks. I was bullied because I was like, I don't know, I was a smart, nerdy kid who always wanted to impress the teachers. And then I just thought like, okay, well, maybe if I looked skinny and I looked pretty, then I wouldn't get picked on anymore. Um, Mm. So that was part of the driver. The other driver was that I felt out of control because 
I was really good at math and I, I was really good at math because there's always a formula. You know, it's like it's yes yeah, or no. You yeah. can't fuck it up. But with right. English, there's like, I'm like, I, I, I'm not good at storytelling and I'm not creative and there was never an answer and that used to frustrate the hell out of me and I think it's that sense of not having control but then I would go, okay, well, this is what I can control. Like what I put in my <laughs> mouth and what I do with my body. And then the other aspect was uh, my dad started picking up on it and it got a lot of my dad's attention. Um, my dad at the time was working night shift. We didn't see him very much. He didn't really have a good relationship with my brothers and I was always daddy's little girl. And I guess mm. it was a real way for me to sort of earn the attention of my dad. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Wow, a, lot of, a lot of good self-awareness there. Thank you. Just, like that's that's impressive i mean uh you got it you're dialing in yeah i think it's like i still don't know what causes it and like people often ask like what's early intervention um i don't know like i it's hard to pinpoint when because there's so many things that can influence it and at the moment they're looking at eating disorders and they they reckon that anywhere between 50 and 80 percent of it's genetic so if that's like it's it couldn't it might not even be what's actually happening it could be your reaction to it. Right. One question. So I don't know much about this. When you're saying you're getting admitted to the hospital and you're getting sent home, does that mean you're just, you're, you knew there was an issue or others knew there was an issue? Were you in denial of it? Like, I don't understand how that works or you yeah. just couldn't help it. So at the time, cause I was only like 15 when I first got admitted, it was my mom taking me to the GP and the GP saying that she's, unwell and she needs to go into hospital um so that's okay, when i'll go what, to the emergency room what were your thoughts on that were you thinking i'm good or do you, did you realize something's wrong yeah at that age like uh at the first time i was i wanted everyone to leave me alone i was like like fuck off i'm okay just let me right, be who right. i want to be it wasn't till probably that time when i got admitted into the adult ward so the last admission that was probably the one time when i was like thank fuck like because i'm so sick of trying to deal with this by myself and that's like a long ways into this disorder. Yeah. That was that's like three years, or four years in. Yeah. 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 Holy wow. So it would just t totally controlled you then. Yeah, hundred percent. And like it was, it was complete denial. And, and oh, I don't know if it was even denial or more so fear that like if I admitted to it, then there was no way to get out of getting treated. Yeah. You don't have, you were, finally you kind of gave up control over it and then you were ready to go in and get help, right? You said about yeah. three or four years in and here we are. This is frustrating and I'm tired of fighting kind of on my own, right? For yeah. Sure. And I think there was a big realization from everyone around me. My mom was so, uh, uh, so uh, fixed on trying to fix it before I was an adult. So then, you mm -hmm. know, we could move on with it. And I think it was a big turning point for her to realize that mm -hmm. there is no quick fix and this is something that I would deal with for the rest of my life. And all she can do is support me in that. And then sort of educating everyone else around me that that's all they can do because otherwise if they kept pushing it, I would isolate myself more. And then when I did realize that I need help, I would never come to them for it. One question I had mostly for my, like my own interest, but I think it's an interesting one in general. How has your internal dialogue changed over the process of like beginning and I don't know, over the last 13 years, like something I've noticed for myself, especially in the last, say, five years, like my day-to-day -day language is something I'm more aware of, which I never was before. And I just, I'm curious how that's changed for you in the last, you know, 10 years even, or even five years in the more recent history. 
Um, like, how has that changed that you're able to better deal with it now? I think the biggest part for me is that because I did isolate myself so much from everyone as it was going on, as people were picking up on the habits, I just, I didn't want to be around people because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. That when I was going through adolescence, I didn't have that social, um, I didn't, I wasn't able to communicate to people very much. And then when I hit maybe 20, I had like such, such poor relationships because I was so bad at, um, I guess conversing with people and I, what's that word? Um, emotional intelligence. Like I just had none of it. I just, yeah. I said what I thought and that's how it was. And I think over the past five years, like it's really, especially working with clients every day, it's really learning that you never know somebody else's story and you never know yeah. what they're going through or their circumstances that you've got to be careful of that when you, when you do communicate to them and, um, and be wary of their emotions. Cause like, you know, everyone has a load, but it's, you don't know how well they can carry that load. Yeah. Or where they're at. Like oftentimes, sometimes you're very close to wanting to just set it down and take a break. And depending on where you are in that spectrum, it can be very much a different, um, it's a different way you internalize whatever dialogue you're having with others. I find so like some days it's like you could say the exact same thing and yeah, I'm fine. Like it doesn't affect me. Whereas six months ago or whatever, at one point I've been like, it would have just fucking, you know, destroyed me for a day or two or a month. You know, it's, it's funny how timing. Sure. Is yeah. Yeah. And I think you get um, used to picking up like when things are going downhill, it's, it's practice. Like, so let like, if I take a really genuine example is like when I feel a binge coming on and the only reason that I binge is because I want to purge. And so it's not the other way around where like, I feel like I want to eat all this food and then I want to, and then I'll sit with it. Like it's purely, if I can't purge, then I won't binge. But so like before I feel a binge coming on, like one thing that I'll do is try to set my timer for 20 minutes and just let that 20 minutes pass and then see where I'm at. Then see if I want to do it or whether I don't want to and whether I don't. But at first, like I sucked at that and I was like, this isn't working for me. This and But you learn that it takes practice. Like I might've got to two minutes the first time around and then I might've gone to five. And I think like it's the same thing when you're learning to recognize what's going on in your own head. It's practice of getting better at dealing with that. For sure. I always look at it like progressive overload. Like everything... Pretty much everything in life is progressive overload. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. exposure over time, getting better with each exposure, or if not each time, like hopefully over a few times. You know, it's not as bad. So that that absolutely makes sense for sure. And I think we spoke about this. Like life is sort of like a video game that once you pass one yeah. level, and then it's like now take the tools that you got from that level and defeat. Yeah you know, the next biggest scarier dragon or whatever it might be. Like that's literally what it's like. You get more equipped, but then there's bigger challenges. For sure. That's an interesting angle that you're saying you binge so that you can purge. Yeah. Is that what you said? Did I hear that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wild way to look at it. Yeah. And Jeez. it's, that's, and I think that comes down to a relationship that's really not about the food. Like, it's more about me feeling so overwhelmed by everything that's going on that the only reason, the only way I can shut that off is by immersing myself in this binging and eating cycle. And like, I, I won't lie. Like it feels fucking good. Like to just shut everything off and 
binge yeah. and purge for ages and not have anyone talk to me or communicate to me because it shuts off all those other negative thoughts that are going on in my head. Mm-hmm. It just overrides right. the system. Yeah. yeah. And it's an overload of all these feel-good hormones or whatever that's, that's going on or what you yeah. think is going on. Anyway. Yeah, and you get like a dopamine release when you start binging. Like the sweet foods and that, they, feel, they taste really good and you feel satisfied. But then like you become um, desensitized to that dopamine and you need more and more and more of it yeah. to get the same response. So do you have, uh, like, if, if you get too stressed out, do you feel like you need to, or it has no relation with that kind of emotion? No, I think that's exactly it. So, like, it's either, it goes both ends, though. Like, it's either feeling stressed out or it's feeling bored and lonely. And then I think, but I think the bored and lonely is that I've never had that opportunity to sit with my own thoughts. So I've always either kept myself really distracted or I was anorexic. And now, like, when I sit with my own thoughts, I don't know how to do with it. And I, I become quite fearful of what might happen, um, that I just go, okay, well, screw it. Like, I don't want to deal with that right now, so I'm just going to binge and purge. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, like, a direction you really care to go, but something I found uh, challenging over, like, years is relationships and navigating, like, my, first of all, my own struggles, but, like how to include someone else in the process is not an easy thing. And so as you're saying about, you know, you just want to forget about everything. It's, um, have you noticed over the years, it's hard to navigate a relationship, um, like with a partner dealing with like communication and things like that's, it's not easy for sure. You know? Yeah. And I think it's, um, I think it's in a good sense, like with, uh, I guess I don't want them to challenge my thoughts. Like I'm very strict in my ways and this is the way that I want to be, but I need that kind of aspect too, Um, which is something that I'm going through now. Like I almost feel um, that I'm not challenged enough in the relationship that I am in. And then I'm, and, and because he doesn't know how to approach it and he doesn't know what to say or how to communicate it because it's such an unknown, like no one ever gets educated on how to talk to people about eating disorders and sure. so he doesn't know, he doesn't understand it. So he just sits back and sort of lets me, uh, I'll say the eating disorder do what it wants to do because he doesn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's when I'm like, okay, I need you to step in and like challenge me more because I don't want this become a norm. I don't want it to be the way that we live. Like it shouldn't, it shouldn't be like right. that. Yeah, well, absolutely. I could oh. see, I could see his view too, just not wanting to, it's almost like a non-confrontational way. Obviously, it's not the way to go, but yeah. I mean, uh, just to impose on anybody's lifestyle is, is tough to do, let alone your partner's. Yeah, and it's like it's like stepping on a landmine. Like you, you know, yeah. right? How are you yeah. going to react? Because you're saying you're, you'd you'd welcome that, but I don't know if everybody would in that situation. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think I would in the moment either. And then it's sort of, you know, it's like well, maybe approach it in a not so. Um, I, I guess like a heightened, a heightened uh, event, like or, or space, yeah. like wait for it to sort of pass off and then bring it up. But then, yeah, it's like when when do you? Exactly. Yeah, it's a hard. Yeah. And if if he would have stepped in, let's say when you're in your teenage years, you would have had a complete different reaction, mm-hmm. I imagine, yeah. than you do now. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah, back then I wouldn't have been open to any ideas or thoughts, and I wasn't oh. like I the endless fights with my mom and my dad and. Um, like it, it kind of, it tore the whole family apart. Like my mom ended up leaving my dad and, um, you know, my brothers didn't talk to me for quite some time. Um, 
everything's okay now with my brothers, but it took them a while to get over it because I, mm. I didn't mean to, and I really didn't want to obviously because I didn't want anyone to intrude on my life, but I saw a lot of the limelight. Yeah. Well, I don't want to shift gears really abruptly, but I kind of do. I think we should do a speed round also just to get it out of the way. And, uh, <laughs> well, that's interesting. I'm, I'm learning a lot here. Yeah. I've never actually dealt. No. I, I think I have severe eating disorders that I just don't know are eating disorders. And right. I think we're going to figure that out today. <laughs> oh, Oh shit. Zoom meeting, this meeting. Oh, okay. Did you guys get that? No. Nah. Yeah. I did. We got oh, okay. upgraded. Yeah, we leveled up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in the video oh, game. No more time limit. We're good to go. This is real time. Meetings halfway through. Uh, I think we'll get into that too. I just, uh, yeah, just learn a little bit more random facts of Darian. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so um, nervous yeah, about I'm, this. <laughs> I'm gonna get into that boxing too. So if, if, yeah, yeah. Uh, if I don't remember that, remind me. Okay. I want to hear about you throwing throwing some bombs, Rocky. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, What's your most craved food? Uh, do you guys have Quest Bars there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Quest Bars. What, do you have a flavor? Um, yeah, I like the cookie dough one. Oh, yeah. Squat bench or deadlift? Deadlift. Hairy or shaved? <laughs> Me? <laughs> Interpretation. <laughs> Take it however you want to. All the questions. On uh, my own body shaved or like waxed on men hairy. Here we go. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Not like gorilla, but like. Gorilla style. <laughs> <Yeah>. Manly. Peach fuzz. <laughs> yeah. 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 What decade? Uh, Not 70s, 80s. <laughs> <laughs> 2020 style. Uh, what's your most hated piece of equipment at the gym? Um. Oh, you, do you guys have those, um, like the machine bench presses? So like where you lie down and you actually press a machine up and down? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That. Why is That's that? That's your what? I just don't think like bench press is really the most functional movement. And then when you can't do an actual bench press, let's do a machine. Let's create a yeah, machine right. to make you do an unfunctional movement. There we go. I took this one from the name of our conversation right now, the Zoom meeting. Threesome? <laughs> Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, let me throw oh, some questions. Oh, was that the question? No, I didn't really. <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> you said yes. You mumbled yes. Are you, are you backpedaling now? <laughs> no, I was. I was meaning like I was agreeing that that is the name of the Zoom meeting, but that. All right. No. <laughs> however, however you want to justify your answers, fine with me. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right, here. What's your favorite body part on a man? Uh, abs. Abs. Who wins in a fight, a gorilla or a bear? A gorilla. Oh, yeah. Circumcised or uncircumcised? <laughs> A.K.A. anteater. I don't know if you know what animal that is, but Google that later. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, you don't know? I, I don't have neutral. A yeah, neutral. Yeah. Oh, okay. You can you can pass or just say you love it all. Either one. It's all it's good. Okay. <laughs> I love it all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, last one. What'd you have for supper last night? Uh I had kangaroo. Kangaroo. What is that kangaroo? like? 
Yeah, everyone says that because I forget that I have followers in the States and I got a bunch of messages when I was doing the 15-day challenge and they were yeah. like, um, are you really eating kangaroo? I was like, oh, yeah, I forget. You don't, you've never seen kangaroo. Um, yeah, it's really red. Um, I can get a packet now if you want and show you how red it is. But is, I, mean, is I that guess not we're on like a <laughs> special animal to you guys? It you is, like the kangaroo? It is, like it is on our coat of arms, but it's um, – it's we've got too many of them. So there's more kangaroos than what there is people at the moment. So they're actually trying to get rid of them, but it's so red. Like it's the reddest meat you'll ever see. And it's like, it's just so lean and it's really juicy and chewy. Mm-hmm. I'll have to try <laughs> some kangaroo meat. Do you know why you we, have- we sell horse? Really? Yeah. Do you have horse meat in Australia? I don't think so. Like maybe yeah. in Chinatown, but. <laughs> yeah we have it in quebec i don't we don't have it around here but i'd love to try it um horse meat yeah yeah oh, i'll get you some horse meat man sick i don't know i just tried it. uh longhorn meat <laughs> some like it's those big bulls with the huge horns i think they're yeah. from texas or some shit anyways i just tried some meat and it was delicious do you know why the kangaroo and the emu are the coat of arms of Australia? No. No, because they can't walk backwards. So it's like meant to symbolize Australia moving forwards all the time. Oh, Isn't nice. that interesting? Yeah, because like kangaroos... How long have, has that been there? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Did you say I how long... I wonder if there was like a pinnacle in history that's like, we need something to push us forward, so we're going to change our flag or whatever, you know? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Um, But like, yeah, the kangaroo, it's got like its big tail at the back, so it can't walk mm-hmm. backwards. And the emus right. got their knees back to front, so they can't walk backwards. To roll into Joel's boxing question, the kangaroos are also quite lethal in their fucking dropping bomb skills. <laughs> yeah, they so, are. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? What were you getting at there, Joel? Well, one question. Do, are the, do the kangaroos attack people? Um, sometimes. Generally not, though. Like, we used to go camping a lot, and we would come home, and there'd be caravans in our camper van. Like, they're a kangaroo, sorry, in the camper van. They're not... They're not oh, yeah. that dangerous. Like you can go up and pat them, and that when they're sleeping, you just there has been a few attacks. And oh, I you, don't. You could go pat them and stuff. Yeah, you can. I think that's the ones that are closer to sort of like camping grounds where they see a lot of people and they get familiarized with them. Then they're not right. so bad. But I think the ones that like you know are out in the wild and you try to approach them, then they're going to attack you. That's wild. Yeah. So, anyways, you you uh, got into some amateur boxing. Did you have a, a club that was local to you or how did you, why boxing out of all the things? Like, you're, um, it's kind of, like you're kind of, you're a pretty girl. It's not really a pretty person's sport. It's odd for you to get into boxing. I think that like part of that was kind of the drive, like that no one expected me to be good at it. Um, but honestly, when I first started, it was cause I was still like deep in the eating disorder and I was like, Oh, I know like boxing is such good exercise that I'll go do that. Um, and I ended up like, I just being, I was really good at it. I was really coordinated. Um, I, I picked it up really quickly. Like any kind of technique issues that I had, I just, I, it started off with like box fit kind of stuff. And then I hated it and I wanted to go and learn a little bit more and get more technical with it. Um, I ended up sort of the biggest point where I started picking up on things the most and getting like a genuine coach was, I don't know if you know them, but in Australia, they're the Maloney twins and, um, they're ranked top at the moment. I think they're three and four or something at the moment, but they were training maybe an hour away from me. 
So I went down nice. to their gym and the coach was sort of like, he's a big old school, like hard ass coach. And he was like, like, come down, but you got to prove yourself. Otherwise I'm not coaching you. Mm-hmm. And so like I had the worst session of my life. Like it was just so fucking hard. But um, <laughs> yeah. And then afterwards, like he said, you know, if you want to, I'll coach you. And I was with him for a little bit, but he did turn a little bit psycho, like just sort of old school coach. And, you know, like, you know, that drink water while you're sparring. Like, oh, I never drank water. And I did like 10 rounds sparring. I was like, okay, well, I can pass yeah. it out. Like, oh, yeah. I know all <laughs> about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like that kind of stuff. I was like, dude, like I don't need this. Or even like, you know, trying to get you to not work because you should be at training. And it's like life doesn't yeah. work that way yeah, anymore. Yeah, just a bit too hardcore. Yeah. So I ended up going for another coach then who was really great. Um, I think the trouble with him is that he was very much used to training pros. And as you know, like pros can be a lot cleaner and they can keep their distance and everything looks really pretty in amateurs. It literally is like a brawl. So I got really used to like fighting really pretty and having all this, like, you know, long arms and keeping my distance and getting in and out of the pocket. Whereas like then when it came to the amateur fights, I didn't do so well because I didn't know how to brawl. I didn't know how to just throw punches and get in there. That's amateur fighting for you. It's just balls to the wall. Yeah, so I really I've didn't I've done some amateur it. boxing and the, and the rounds, I don't know about you, how long were the rounds? Were they two minutes? Yeah, two minutes. Yeah, like I, I fight five rounds in MMA and those two round boxing, two minute rounds of boxing were intense. They were yeah. nonstop slugging. It's just yeah. crazy. Amateur boxing is nuts. <laughs> and I'm like, because I'm a little, like I'm, I don't weigh very much. So I was fighting girls that were like, younger than me like kids <laughs> but yeah. they were like savage like Beat they would just kids. come <laughs> I, would, I tried but they were just so fucking savage and like they were like pounding yeah. on me and I was like I don't like this like I don't I don't like looking like I don't know what I'm doing they don't like, have any fear yet they're still too young <laughs> <laughs> and when they're young it's even worse because they're full of piss and vinegar too right they don't know yeah. any better they'll just come blasting yeah there's no fear that's wild and if anyone listening about the pretty girls, that's for every girl. I wonder why they get into box. I don't want, I know I'm going to get flamed for some of the female fighters. <laughs> They're going to mess be like, what do you mean? Pretty girls don't get into boxing. I'm pretty blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yes. Fine. I just, it's just one of those sports where yeah. it, I just find it weird. Cause it's, you got real life consequences, right? Like your yeah. face yeah. isn't going to look the same anymore. Your nose so can get double the width. Yeah. Like right away. Yeah, well, when, it's always interesting to me for why people get into that. Like you had a you had a pretty good upbringing and stuff too. You said right, like normal bullying in school and shit. Yeah, um, I think like oh, like there was a like I did get you know I I got locked in a chicken cage once at school and things like that. Like I wish I knew how to box then, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my um, when I first started, because I, I was like I was sneaking out and exercising because I was staying at my mum at the time and she wouldn't let me train because she didn't want me to lose any weight so I was sneaking out and I used to like you know go out in normal clothes and have books and say I was going to the library and then I'd go change at the gym and then change back and then walk back inside with a bunch of books and then one time I came home and I had like this big fat nose and like my head was all swollen and it was you know (laughs) you know when you just get fresh out of a sparring round and you just your face is it's red and it's glowing and it's it's oh yeah I stay like that for like a day yeah and so I was like oh no mama I was just Picking pimples on my nose. It's just like that. That's not what your nose looks like. <laughs> These <laughs> massive ears. Yeah. <laughs> I just had this whole breakout all of a sudden. Um, yeah. So, the library. Yeah. yeah. 
so she yeah she picked up on that and um yeah from there i actually got kicked out of my mom's house for doing it what weight did you fight at i fought at 47 kilos 47 kilos yeah so what's that muscle build just over 100 pounds 112 or something i'm 110 now and i'm 50 kilos so okay so just under 110 yeah yeah they probably would have made and that helped you get your eating disorder in check? Um, it did for the moment. Uh, yeah, that was a huge distraction yeah. and it helped me. And yeah. then that's when I said like it kind of turned more into orthorexia. So orthorexia is like medically di- diagnosed where the person has a systematic approach or fear of harmful foods. Um, right. So that's what it turned into. Like, you know, having to weigh everything to the gram and not being able to eat out or not being able to have – you know, a piece of chocolate or anything yeah. like that. Like it was really, everything was sort of demonized. Everything had to be to the point. Um, Having a hardcore coach probably doesn't help that fact either. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, and associating it with a sport where you've got to stay a certain weight. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was so, and because I still wasn't very well, like if I was at 47, I was like, I had nothing to lose from that. The only thing that like, I could lose was maybe, you know, like electrolytes um, to get my How weight down. How tall are you? I'm one sixty six centimeters. So five. Yeah, damn, this is uh your challenge version here. Yeah, hang on. I'll get it. <laughs> um yeah, so like it wasn't very good to be in a sport where you're kind of having to keep your weight down all the time as well. Yeah. You know what's funny? We use centimeters here too, and I I know I'm hundred and seventy nine, but I have no idea what Less than that. I, just well, that's I thought you did because Paul said that he always uses kilograms, and I was like, "Well, then yeah. why are you sending me shit in pounds?" Um, so, so the thing five, is, five. yeah, the kilogram five okay, five. Okay, five five. The the expensive gyms have calibrated plates, right? But like, especially in Goddard, there's fifty pound plates in Goddard at the old gym there that we used to train at, which there is no like, there's fifty pounds, thirty five, twenty five. But like calibrated plates in kilograms are probably like twice the money, right? So I've never trained at a gym that had real plates because there's no like fancy gyms like that around. I don't know. Like it's true, just the fancy ones are in kilos here. Yeah, this all the iron ones are in pounds, and like so yeah. that's all I've ever used is pounds. So I have no idea. Like I mean, I can do the rough math in my head, but like I have no idea what kilograms are in pounds, even though it's what we use in Canada for scale. But no, pounds yeah. always no, look I, better I, on I Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Because people understand pounds, right? Unless you're an IPS. But like, like I'll, really I'll see it and someone will be like, I, I squatted 400 today. I was like, you did? Oh, no, it's pounds. Okay. Maybe you right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're a pussy. Yeah. Just <laughs> 400 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, you guys set the bar higher. Call them pussies 400 pound squat. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I squatted today? And, uh, it was it was nice and humbly. I just put two plates on, and I didn't go any higher than that, and I found it super heavy. I kind of went off of, uh, I think it's prescripts, right? Is uh, How do they say it? You'll know. Subjectively, you want it to be as hard as possible without objectively being heavy. Yeah. Mm. You know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah. Like yeah, that's, that's heavy just as right. Can be. You nailed it. So anyways, I took those principles today and whatever. <laughs> anyways, side note. Your exercises are sweet that you're, you've been posting on Instagram, though. I creep some of that stuff up. It's awesome. You do a lot of coaching. Is that your full-time gig now? Um, yeah, yeah. So, like, in – well, it was until lockdown. Um, so, I was doing, like, one-on-one coaching. Um, but I've, I've really tried to be pushing the nutrition side more just because naturally coming from an eating disorder, I'm more interested in that. 
Um, and I, right. like, I know a lot more about that. Like I, I've done Jordan's uh, pre-script level one and like, I understand mm-hmm. biomechanics and stuff, but I don't have a love for biomechanics. Like I'm like, uh, yeah, okay. Well, that's how your body moves. That's cool. Kind yeah, of right. thing. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I have a question. How did you transfer from boxing into like the gym and like lifting weights? Was there a progression in your eating disorder along that as well? Or was it just like, I can't box anymore because of XYZ and now I'm getting into training and lifting weights? Or how did that work? Um, there kind of came a time for me where I was doing both and that was like really taxing on my body. And then mm-hmm. I did kind of get, um, interested and I'm not sure whether it's because like physique wise or whether it's just because I felt I guess powerful when I lifted heavy yeah, yeah um sure. and I'm a small girl but I can lift quite quite a amount of weight for my um for my body weight and I found like that was like kind of impressive and when boxing just sort of stopped serving me and I think that's just because I I didn't have a direction to go anymore like I wasn't enjoying the fights I wasn't enjoying the amateurs and then it's like okay well you know, how good can you get at doing pads and, you know, bag work and stuff. So I think it just stopped serving me. I do miss it. Like, and there's sometimes where I look back at videos and I was like, damn, like I don't, I want to do it again. Um, And I I just don't want to, yeah, I just, I don't want to push it. Like I don't want to, I don't want it to be something that's forced. Like if I was, if I all of a sudden put my gloves back on and it just flows, like it flows. But I I felt like I was just going in and I was just going through the movements every day. And I was like, you know, I've got to do 12 rounds of this and then I got to do, you know, four rounds of skipping and then whatever it might be. And I think like it was just more just waiting for the rounds to get down that I was like, I'm over this. And um, that's kind of where I switched over. And I, I, I do hope that it comes back because I did really enjoy it. Um, but yeah, does that answer the question? Yeah, no, absolutely. I was just curious how you progressed. Did you always from compete when you're boxing, or sometimes did you train without the idea of competition, or or was there always competition lingering in the background? I think it was like the coach's perspective that there was always competition um, oh, okay. lingering. Um, but then at the same time, like my goal was, you know, to go to the um, to the Commonwealth Games. And, oh, really? Yeah, nice. and. Um, okay. Then when I realized that like amateurs is fucking lame, like that I didn't want to do it anymore. And then I felt really lost in my direction of where I wanted to go. Um, at the same time, like I loved sparring, like sparring was great. I just, because that's like where you, you work on your technique and you work on your skills yeah. and it is cleaner, but like, yeah, I hated the fights. So, and it's smart to do like with that type of sport. I mean, if you have the mentality where you're just putting in the motions, you don't want to put your body and your brain to risk compared to someone's mentality who's out there wanting to kill every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I think just a smart decision on your half. I see that sometimes in the, in the, uh, the fight clubs that I train at, some guys are worn out or they're just trying to get involved for the wrong reasons and their mental state isn't where it should be. It's one of those games where you can't half ass it. Yeah. And I think you would notice too, like, you know, you're always like in this position, it's very one dimensional and you get a yeah. lot of neck and shoulder pain. And like, it's like, as soon as I stop doing it, like my neck and shoulders feel like heaven all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. I'm all, I'm all torqued one way. My yeah. whole body is. Yeah. yeah. It's terrible for you. Ah, well. Yeah. Now you, you dealt with old school coaches back with your boxing, you said. Yeah. And I know you're dealing with Paul now who I've like, I worked with him years ago as well. Yeah. But how do you, have you found any common concepts through your coaching that you've had over the years that you apply to your clients now? Like 
I think I've heard you talk a little bit about you're a little bit of a, maybe not a hard ass, but you're very much, um, you're not a beat around the bush person. It's like, all right, if this happened, let's do something about it or whatever. But have you drawn that from a coach you've worked with and the things you've liked or didn't like, or how have you kind of helped form yourself as a coach? Um, I think it was like this idea of like, what, what is motivation and like, you know, what actually drives us. And I just don't think that motivation really exists. Like, I just think that if you're always waiting to be motivated, like the the moment's never going to come. And then I started looking at, like, Mm -hmm. I really noticed that I had two different clients. There was nowhere in between. It was either someone who had a fixed mindset or someone who had a growth mindset. And like, this is something that you and I have been talking about a little bit. It's like Mm -hmm. in this fixed mindset, they get, um, you know, they, they get very jealous of people who succeed or they get very envious of other success. Or if, the, if nothing works for them, they go, okay, well, that's not for me. And I'm not going to even try that. Like I'm uncomfortable and I don't yeah. want to deal with that. Whereas like someone with a growth mindset, if something happens or someone else succeeds in the area that they want to, they go, okay, they take that and they go, okay, well, that means I can do it. Oh, and that means like it is right. achievable. Or they, they take <laughs> these, let, um, these situations that happen to them and they learn from it and they realize that like you can apply new concepts to your brain and your brain can learn new skills. And then they go and, you know, they implement it and they teach it to others. And I think like it was about trying to get people to transition from that fixed mindset to that growth mindset, um, which is something like that we see all the time now. And especially today, like I think Paul and I were talking about this and it's like, if you can't do it perfectly, they won't do it at all. So like if they can't go to the gym and train the way that they wanted to, they're just not going to do it at all. And it's like, okay, well that's having like that fixed mindset that nothing's working for you and I can't change. Um, and so I guess like it's applying that and trying to rather than tell them this is what they have to do, but like try to find a way where they can uh, realize that, okay, this didn't work for you and this is why, like there's evidence there. And so now move forward, take those lessons and try something new. Um, Mm. So I think it's like that's probably where my coaching has sort of changed a little bit where I was at the start. I was very much like, you know what, if you you want to fucking look good, then don't have pizza. Like, you know, kind of thing. It was always like a a yes or no answer. Whereas now it's like, okay, well, we need to look at who you are and like the mistakes that you make. How do you learn and grow from those? So it was more like a math problem before. There's a right answer and a wrong answer. And now it's more like – there's a word I can't think of right now. I think Bad it's, um, I can't, I can't remember who said it, but Paul told it to me and um, he says like clear intent allows for flexible process. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. for sure. No, this, this kind of leads into another thing. I, I've been working on this kind of question for myself for the last probably five years and I've never really spoken with a female about it specifically or, or Joel actually, but specific to right now and the times in the world as you said about if you can't train perfectly why bother at all it's kind of that mentality of a lot of people but something i've worked with is reasons versus excuses and i find that they can be the exact same thing but it depends on what your intention is internally when you you know have this internal dialogue about it but then also the part that i've really had a problem with or i've been challenged by many times is that you can't control how the person that's listening to you interprets what you're telling them. So do you find with your clients now, they have a lot of excuses or reasons or like, can you navigate that space and say, you know what, these reasons are all valid. These are all real things and that all makes sense. But 
they can be a reason or an excuse. So you can be a reason to keep going and do things, or it can be an excuse not to do things. Yeah, so I just that's something you deal with. Yeah, I get what you're getting at, and it, it is like hard yeah. to draw that line. Like, but yeah. I think it's it comes down to that. Like, if you've got a clear intent, then you can be flexible about the process. So I think there are reasons mm-hmm. why you can't do it in this particular way or this like certain path and, you know, find alternatives and be flexible in that and realize that like, this is still the direction that you want to head in where rather than it becoming the excuse not to keep going. Sure. Are you fine now with yourself at all? Sorry. What's that? I think it's it's say, do you find that with yourself? Yeah. And I, and I have to try and catch myself in the moment. So quite often, like I'll find that I'm, especially like in those moments where I do want to binge and purge and it's like, I, I know that I don't need to, but it's like, it's an excuse not to do whatever else or not, not to deal with those thoughts. Like it's an excuse not to sit there and, and deal with those emotions or like those hard things that I'm scared of. Um, yeah, it's definitely not a reason, but then like, I think I have to accept that like sometimes things aren't going to go as smoothly as I like. And then the reasoning mm. for that is that, okay, well, I do have an eating disorder and like, I'm not using that as an excuse, but I'm, I'm, I'm not using that as an excuse to stop. Like I'm just saying that it's not going to be yep. failing and I can't expect it to be. For sure. No, yeah, it's, I that's found- a tough one. Muscle bell reason versus excuse. I found when I was training people, it's like, if well, let's, let's simplify it real quick. Someone comes in and says their back hurts. Yep. Okay. Is that a reason for them not to train or are they making an excuse? Like without knowing that person and their intentions, like you're saying, you could take that any which way you want to. Like yeah. if you told me your back hurt, I'd say, okay, we're staying away from back because I know that yeah. if your back didn't hurt, you'd be training your back or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. But I found, I found, I, I was like a, I felt like a dick a lot of the times because I just didn't take what my clients were saying uh, for what it was. I just thought I, I put everything in the excuse column rather yep. than a reason column. And, and that's I something that- I got to maybe get in check when you look at like what mindset is like it's the way that you perceive things and i think like you might have not necessarily been wrong for assuming that but you never know how other people perceive things and like some people might like it's their their um perception of pain and you know like like i think jordan talks about it before like if he had a an ex-navy come in and he had like you know and his pain was like a three out of ten to the average you know office worker or secretary that could be a ten out of ten I found that was one of my big struggles with the clients was uh, taking in what they're saying and trying to decipher whether is this their way of bullshitting to an easy workout today or Mm -hmm. do they have legitimate cause that we need to adapt the workout. Usually I'd adapt it so it wouldn't matter anyways. It'd be tough or whatever, right? It'd be challenging either way. But uh, yeah, that was one. I I never had to deal with it myself. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. hard on myself. Let's say same excuse. My back hurts. I don't care. Yeah. And I, I think, I, it, I think like I'm the same, but like that came from learning too. Like if, um, you know, like I had, I had a client doing dips the other day and she said the front of her shoulders were hurting and I was like, yeah, but the front of my shoulders all fucking hurt when I do dips. So I just keep going. Like, <laughs> <shit."> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, clearly. Um, but it's sort of like, you know, she, she's not used to it and she gets fearful of it, but then like I've done it and I know that like, okay, well I'm, I'm okay afterwards. Like it's just something that, hurts a little bit gets a little bit tight when i'm doing my dips and i think it's yeah about um it taking yeah the the perceived pain again and sort of you know that that growth mindset rather than going okay we'll fix what that hurts okay we're not doing it 
Now, to tie in, I remember we talked about this a little bit before, or you have as well on your own about allostatic load, but perception of pain changes almost unpredictably with like the perception of allostatic load as well. Mm-hmm. So like, even if my back hurts the exact same today and I don't want to do it tomorrow, it might hurt the exact same. And I'm like, I'm training back because I fucking want to train back. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. a very hard thing to tell what side of that spectrum your client or yourself is even on. And that's especially with training for me. Like I, I don't know where I'm at as far as where I can push my limitations now. So like I am hesitant and sometimes maybe fearful, but I'm like, I don't want to push too far because there can be very real consequences. But then, well, that's an excuse not to do it. I used to do it. And <laughs> if I used to do it, then I can still do it. But that may not be the case. So it's just really it's not hard. an excuse, Muscle Bill. It's yeah. not but you know excuse. what I mean? But it is. It's, it's like, I just want to fucking do it because I love it and I miss it. And I don't know. That's, that's my biggest struggle lately with training, too. Like, not a, let alone not being able to have a lot of access to equipment. But, like, I don't know. It's something I find... Because I have a hard time with it, I feel like probably a lot of other people do as well for various reasons, you know? Oh, so sure. it's something I have to spend a lot of time on. Yeah, like, uh, and I, I get, like, what you were saying about, like, you just want to cut a fucking train, like, regardless of whether or not your back hurts. Um, Paul had me doing the other day, it was meant to be a 60-minute walk with a weight vest on. So it's a 20-kilo weight vest and holding a kettlebell as well. And, like, I just literally, like, I couldn't get past 15 minutes with that weight vest on. Like, my shoulders are small and it was just hurting. And I just got so frustrated because I was like, all I want to do is train. And, like, that's stopping me from doing something that I know is a release for me and makes yeah. me feel better about myself. And I, I get, like, and that's sort of that concept of get, I, I can really understand now why people don't want to do it unless they can do it perfectly because it gets really frustrating. Um, yeah, absolutely. But like I had to, I messaged Paul and I said, Paul, like I'm almost in tears because all I want to do is train and I only got to 15 minutes and he was like, just take the weight vest off. And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> right. And just, just yeah. carry, just carry the kettlebell. And he's like, what, yeah. What was that about okay. flexibility and process again? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, get rid of the kettlebell, get rid of the vest. And I was like, oh. Just like normal like, walk style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, what gets you excited to get on a bed in the morning? Like, what are you doing right now in all this craziness? You used to train one-on-one. You're doing nutrition things. You had a, your own challenge. You have a thing coming up, what, two days from now, I think May 4th, whatever day it is now. Yeah. You have a macro mm-hmm. challenge and things. But, like, out of everything going on, what gets you on a bed in the morning and gets you going, fuck yeah, for today? Um, like in this moment, I think it's the, that I've been able to take time to do things that I haven't ever wanted to do before. So like that was part of the thing with the 15 day challenge. So Joel, I don't know if you know, but like for 15 days, I challenged myself to not binging or purging, like just, um, and I documented everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I documented everything on Instagram. And the reason was like, I thought it was a good opportunity because I'd always said like, I was too busy to concentrate on other things or like I had too much going on. And now it's like, I really don't have a lot going on and I can start. I've never read like, and this sounds horrible, but I've never read a full book before. I've like, I've me, read me stuff. Neither. Oh, really? Yes. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're in the right company. <laughs> yeah. Cause everyone always talks about like how good reading is and stuff. And I was like, I've never I read a whole book in my life. Like, the, yeah. you know, they do movies for that shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, I so, love hearing that. I love hearing that. <laughs> 
So I was like, and like I've always told my clients, like readings are good, like it really opens your mind, and yeah, uh, listen, yeah. And I was like, but I've never, I've never done it. Like I'm just assuming this is what people tell me that it's really good for you. Yeah. Um, but I finished, <laughs> I finished my first book the other day, and I was like, yeah. wow. I, to be honest, like I was like, okay, it's not really that big of a deal. I don't know why everyone talks about reading books, but yeah. yeah <laughs> it's, right. um, Congratulations, you're thank a book you. reader now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah no. I've, t- I've been telling everyone. It's like, hey, I'm Darian, yeah. and I've read a book. I actually read a book now. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. This 15-day, yeah. did uh, documenting it, did you find the accountability was better and it made it easier for you? or? Yeah, so like prior to that, I had been sort of doing um, – well, when when we first went to lockdown, it was every day binging and purging. And like I had just taken a whole back slap and um, I felt really lost in how I was going to change it. Um, just prior to that, maybe the week before, I managed to do five days of not binging and two days of binging and purging. And that's what it was like sort of at the end of last year. Um, so when it got to like the 15 days, that third or fourth day was probably the hardest because I was like, okay, well, this would normally being when I'm getting prepared to like getting all the food and that, that I need to binge and purge. Like there were definitely planned binges and purges and looking at it, like instead of going, okay, well, I've only got three more days till my next one. I only have to get three more days. Like I had to get through 15 more days. And I think at the start, like it was very overwhelming and it was, um, it was quite scary. And I got like, you know, I got really anxious and um, really short tempered with everyone. Like I just, I didn't know what was going on in my own head. I didn't want to talk to anyone else. And then, uh, when sort of day eight, that was, it got really easy. It like, it was nowhere near as hard as what I thought it would be. It was definitely, um, scary, but yeah, it wasn't nearly as fearful, as hard as what I thought it was be. It would be. Wow, I get that just, inertia going. Yeah. So you're feeling withdrawal symptoms is what you're going through. Yeah, I guess so. Till about day eight. That's, that's how I'm trying to like, I'm yeah. trying to make sense of this. It almost seems like, to me, I could relate it to best with like a drug addiction, right? Yeah. Like counting the down the days, stay away from it, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, like you, you, you say it's scary and everything. Like it, to me, it sounds just like a drug addiction and going through withdrawal symptoms and the whole, the whole bit. Yeah. And I guess like that's a really good way to put it because I never really thought of it as withdrawal symptoms. Um, then day 15 was really hard too because I was like, okay, well, what do I do tomorrow? The final day. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, like yeah. pressure to do it again almost. Yeah, it was like, do I, okay, well, did I do the 15 day challenge so that I could binge and purge at the end? Like, is that how I celebrate it? Or, yeah, is that yeah. your surprise? Oh, yeah. man, what a yeah. tough one. Yeah, yeah, so I was like, I was really, and then I had people messaging me and they're like, do another 15 days. And I was like, I really, like, I, I really don't want to. Like, I just, I don't want to document everything. It got, yeah. like, it got quite taxing and having to wake up and do, like, this check in every morning. And it got, um, it got really overwhelming. So I just like, I was like, I need time away from showing everyone everything I do. Um, yeah. But yeah, like now I'm sort of, I'm, I'm over it and I'm kind of trying to check in with people again. But the 15th day, like that was an emotional roller coaster. I was like, I don't know For what sure. the fuck tomorrow's going to so look like. What was your next step then? What did you, how did you go about it the next um, day? The next day I didn't try to, I've tried not to put pressure on saying that, okay, I'm not going to binge, but I tried not to, plan the binge either and just sort of see how it went so I still had my day planned out like I normally would and had like hour and hour blocked out for whether that was like um you know checking in on clients or um or journaling or reading or going for a bike ride taking the dog for a walk and I tried to just go through them and like I was like I'll just do the best I can and 
then it got to like maybe 5 p.m. and I was like, well, it's too late to do anything now. So like, yeah, I got through the whole day. Could what? you, if you don't, if you don't mind, we keep saying binge and purge, but can you give me an, ex- an, an extreme example of what that would entail? Yeah. And that's a good, like, cause a lot of people say, oh, like I binge eat. And I was like, no, you just indulged on cheesecake. You didn't binge eat. Sure. Like, you know, yeah, like you, I'm curious to how hardcore this is. Yeah. So it would be blocking out hours and it would be constant. Like, okay. So, um, maybe it was like a tub of yogurt with, um, like some peanut butter and nuts and like protein bars and whatnot. And I would eat a tub and then like a, a one kilo thing. And then I'd go and throw up. And then I'd go back and do it again. And then I'd go throw up and then I'd go back and do it again. And it was probably like eight rounds of that. Holy shit for hours. Yeah. Hours. So like how much food could you do in a session? It's unlimited Um, then, right? You just keep doing it and doing it until you're sick of it. No. Cause around about like the seventh time I'll start feeling really dehydrated and like I'm about to pass out and like I'll be wobbling away from the bathroom that like I then I have to lie down and holy yeah, shit get some electrolytes any, uh, in me. complications no not yet so um hopefully not <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'll so keep going till I get esophagus cancer um, <laughs> um, but that is something so like your esophagus can rupture and it can cause cancer um, and luckily my teeth yeah. are still good so I get my teeth checked regularly um, and I suppose that's more because like I'm doing it straight away and I'm not letting it become so acidic that it builds up. Um, and then I'm, why, you know, why, why the teeth? Because of the stomach acid from your stomach coming up it um, air rots your teeth. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's other wow. things too though. Like I think I, I get a lot of heart arrhythmias because when you have an eating disorder and this was more from the anorexia side, I, um, which I still have. So you've got, uh, you've got different types of eating disorders. You've got uh, orthorexia, you've got bulimia, and you've got um, binge eating. So binge eating is the same as bulimia but without the purging um, or any other compensatory behavior. And then with anorexia, you've got um, restrictive. Um, so that can be whether it's food or exercise. And then you've got binge eating anorexia. So that's still like being severely underweight but then binge eating and purging and whatnot. So I'm not severely underweight but I still am underweight mm-hmm. so I'm classified as binge eating anorexia Um, and what happens is like when you've got anorexia is your heart muscle actually shrinks so then your blood pressure drops and then when you go through refeeding which is part of the dangerous thing that they do in hospitals is when they refeed you these copious amounts of food your blood uh, blood pressure all of a sudden drops drops up because your heart can't handle the volume from all that food and it causes heart attacks so I haven't had a heart attack but I've had heart arrhythmias Um, your brain also shrinks. So, you know, you get less neuropathy, you get less cognition and it can cause seizures. Um, yeah, yeah. Your kidney function goes right down. Uh, obviously blood pressure goes right down. Uh, you lose your hair. Um, yeah, you get really cold all the time. All these things kind of happen that people don't really talk about. Like they just go, okay, she's getting really skinny and she's malnourished, but like, there's a lot of things that go on that yeah, there's, there's a big ripple effect to that for sure. Yeah. So when you went into the hospitals, would they try to feed you intravenously? Did I say that right with IV? Yep. Um, sure. Not unless you didn't eat. So if you ate your meals, you didn't get it. Um, if you didn't, then you got put on the drip. Um, so they tried to feed you through tubes first. And if you, they would get the security guards up. Two securities would hold the person down and they get tubes in your mouth. Um, if you didn't do that, like somehow you kept throwing that up, then they'll put an IV in you. 
but I had an IV in because I was so um, dehydrated that I had a like yeah, I had an IV in my arm the whole time. Yeah. Did you ever have the security guard treatment? No, I had two people in the same ward as me do that. Um, and yeah, you're in the bed next to me. You just have to sort of hear what's going yeah. on. And it's quite scary. Deal with it. Yeah. So you said you had an wow. IV for two months. Do you have a scar from that? Because I've got a few IV scars that it's like these have been in for too long and then it literally like pulls a piece of tissue out when they take it out. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, yeah. Not, uh, yeah, not that I've noticed. I think that uh, like I was so small then that like if I did now that my oh. skin, yeah, it wouldn't, I wouldn't really notice oh, yeah. it. But I do remember they couldn't get, you know, when they put the IV in and then if they don't get it, they have to inject that liquid anyway. Yeah. So she kept missing my vein. Yeah. Because she couldn't yeah. find it, and my arm just—that was so painful. How big it got. Yeah, it's make, uh, it's cringing. Yeah. Oh sure. no! Okay, hold on here. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry, I see you cringing, muscle Bill. But yeah. I've never heard of this. If they miss it, they're gonna inject it anyways. Because they don't know. Yeah, they gotta test it. Yeah. Oh damn! You look like you're whitening up there, muscle Bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just sucks. Like. Uh, anyway, yeah, can't I relate. Think you're just you just really frustrated, and then when they keep missing, it's like get another nurse. Like, can you just get someone that's gonna uh, hit it? Yeah. Well, sometime we'll talk. I've got a lot of get another nurse stories for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Your veins and all that would probably be pretty small too, right? Yeah, we be... dehydrated and cold. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, yeah like yeah. it'd be hard to hit. Yeah. yeah. And um, I wow. even even like when I got out and I had to get regular blood tests done, and um, you know how they've got like the little baby one. Yeah, yeah, the butterflies. Yeah. yeah, they had to get the butterflies in for me all the time because they couldn't get it for with sure. the adult ones. Same. Oh, yikes. Yeah. That's hence my, uh, yeah, kind of obsession with veins. It could be very beneficial in my life. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I yeah. don't want to deal with those missing and the fishing around. Like, literally, you know, 10 seconds seems like five minutes when they're like moving shit around and inside. It's like, fuck me. Yeah. Just, Oh man, I don't like needles ah. as it is. Yeah. And then yeah, you, re- you, re- you recognize her to like go after training because then you got like that vein pump. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, go. Yeah, <laughs> I basically go first thing in the morning. You know, I'm all vascular as hell in the morning. I get my glass of water. I'm like, put it in me right now. Yeah. But it's like always 12 o'clock in the afternoon and you know, you have to fast and you can't drink water. It's like, you're setting me up for failure here, man. Like, yeah. yeah. I always, I get the opposite. Whenever I come in, they're like, oh, go get. Betsy or whatever, the one who's never put it in someone's vein because look at this yeah. guy's veins. Like they yeah. always get me the rookie. I'm like, oh my god, no! Like I'm not the guinea pig. <laughs> you are though, for sure, for sure. <laughs> I get the opposite. I wanted to ask you, Darian, when you're binging and purging, what felt better, the binging or the purging? Uh, definitely like the binging. Um, the purging, yeah. the purging can hurt. Um. Okay. So yeah. you didn't get the enjoyment from the purging then. No, but you get the, the you get the release from the purging. Does that make sense? Like it's like a relief that's yeah. all out of you. Um, right. When you're binging, like, uh, and I guess that's like kind of more the anorexia side is like just getting that release or that relief from feeling empty. Um, mm-hmm. When, uh, but the the way that I structure my binging is like it's very strategic. So like I know that certain things, like say like a sandwich is very hard to throw up on its own. So like, yeah. because it's like, you need some kind of dairy or something with it to make you feel sick. Really? It's easier to spew. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Cause so it's did like, it's you very dry. Pick your foods that way as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. This is, this is wild. Yeah. Set myself up for failure. <laughs> like it's straight off the bat. Hmm. Yeah. So, so you, you know, the work. 
Pardon? Sorry, go ahead. Like in the back of your subconscious, it's always there, right? You know what's coming in the end. Yeah. Um, and that's why I said like it ended up being just a very planned and strategic, um, strategic day, like nothing else. I, I blocked out anything else. Communicating to people was off limits because like I wanted to be my own little bubble. Um, and it's almost like I, I do a lot better when I don't plan and everyone's like, well, then just don't plan it. And I was like, oh, well, no, because I look forward to it because like it is such a release. Right. What would you say to people would, would be warning signs that you may be on your way to to developing a disorder like what are some of the small signs or small maybe uh, mannerisms people would go through and try to like brush it off as that's ah, no big deal but then eventually add up to a big deal um i think it always comes down to like people's perception so like, i say this all the time like i could go out for a meal with a friend and we could order the exact same thing but she could just and she she'll probably overeat like she'll eat more than what she needs to but she'll just enjoy it like food i'm having a good time like i really like this pizza and i really like these arancini bowls and i really like this gelato whereas me like i'm not even concentrating on the taste like i just want to get through it so then i can go to the bathroom mm. so i think i think it, it comes wow. down to like your perception around the food and how like what what are your feelings and emotions to it and that's going to kind of manifest into what it can turn into okay so it's kind of be self-aware to what it means to you like what what is yeah. what value does this hold yeah. And like if it's if, more than just tasty food or something else, and maybe you got to check yourself a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. That, yeah, That's that interesting. Makes you wonder, have you had any um, like strategies to try and replace it? You said, you know, you binge so you can purge because you feel empty and you feel like complete distraction from everything happening in your life. But have you had it over the years or currently any strategies you've been trying to implement moving forward to like, okay, maybe I can substitute this out you know, long-term and get a similar effect from something else. You know, I don't, I don't know how that works, but is that something that could potentially be replaced over time with like another version of something potentially less like lethal, you know? Yeah, that was definitely the goal of the 15 day challenge was to start coming up with like new things to do to fill my time up. Um, I think towards, I think there's going to have it come a time though where I just need to learn to start sitting with being bored and not having anything to do because otherwise I, that's like that's my biggest fear at the moment is like what when i run it what do i do when i run out of things to do um and like is that going to just automatically turn into a binging and purging session so i definitely think like and yeah it's like okay well what else gives you that dopamine here and like maybe it's patting my dog so okay well rather than like that during that 20 minutes when i set that 20 minute timer that talked about start like maybe i go and pat my dog during that now this so actually this was interesting it just kind of looped back around my mind but your conversation with Paul, um, he talked about his one, uh, whatever, colleague about um, identity and lifting weights and things. But so something that I've really struggled with as well is there was a point in my life, like in the last few years where like people call me muscle bill for years and years and whatever, but like, I really didn't feel right being called muscle bill. I'm like, I can't train. Like I'm in heart failure. Like I'm fucked up. I'm not a muscle anything. Like I'm, what am I, you know, I don't have anything to fall back on and something I kind of touch on in some of the speaking I've been doing is like for years I told myself if I don't train and lift weights I'm going to be a bad person and not because that inherently makes you a bad person but because everything in my life is attached to lifting weights so I don't know what I'm going to do with good or bad emotions you know theoretically because they all just mean I'm going to lift weights today right 
So like finding another outlet or like, what am I getting from lifting weights that I'm using it as a, you know, uh, a crutch in my life? Because when it's taken away, which it was, what the fuck am I going to do? Like, am I going to be an asshole? Am I going to be, you know, this person nobody wants to be around? Am I going to be someone that I don't like? And that's, that's a problem, right? So I wonder, being bored is a really odd thing. And I don't, I don't know really know what I'm getting at, but I wonder, just I that think conversation with Paul about identity and things, is that something where boredom is kind of scary because you identify as like, you know, having an eating disorder now, right? I don't think like the boredom's um, part of like the identity. I think the boredom is just me being fearful of sitting with my own thoughts because I don't know how to sure. deal with them. Like I, mm-hmm. I guess like, you know, that whole um, cognitive behavioral therapy thing is maybe something yeah. that I need to, like I've tried it before, but maybe it's something that I need to reconsider now. But mm-hmm. I think like I definitely get where you're at. Like what happens when I don't look small anymore? Like everyone's always called me like little Darian and like, you know, I, yeah. and even now like I've got the identity of someone who, looks really skinny but can you know lift quite heavy for her weight and it's like sure. okay, well then what about when i'm not the small girl who can lift heavy anymore or you know oh, it, yeah. yeah and i think that's like that's a really scary thing like what am i going to be known for then because to me i don't have a personality outside of this because i didn't go through that adolescent stage of growing and developing who i was um but i guess it's like it um I think that I need to look at that as part of that growth mindset again. Okay, well, now this is a perfect opportunity to be who I really am and discover who Darian is and not live by this false sure. identity that's not serving me anymore. For sure. What about you, though? Like, how do you feel like you need to approach it? Uh, I spent a lot of time sitting in my chair in the dark, <laughs> uh, like legit, because I couldn't move, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And that's it's something that's, I think it's an ongoing process, but coming to terms with, and I mean, it came back around because I think, and largely it was Joel actually, because we talked a bit about this like a while ago, you know, he's called me muscle bill since day one, but it came back. It, it was like this light bulb moment where like, okay, well, that's not my nickname because I'm bucket. I'm not big. I'm not strong. I'm not whatever. Like, I'm not like you go to a powerlifting meet. I'm one of the smaller guys there. Right. But it kind of clicked on and Joel is like, but that's not what it's about. Like you just, you keep going and you just do your shit and whatever. Right. So it's been, honestly, Joel's been a big part of that kind of process for me is, is like realizing sort of this third party perspective. It's like, okay, I'm not my audience. I'm not my friends. I'm not whoever, like my internal dialogue is my responsibility. And I do have control over that. And to me, that's also, that's empowering, right? It's not like, why am I doing this? Why do I feel like I can't be this person anymore? It's like felt like a third party identity that I was trying to become. But then I was like, wait, they don't call me that because I'm a big, strong guy. I never really have been, right? That's just, so it's just, I don't know, kind of process through that to hearing outside opinions and outside just from people that were close to me. And I found that that's really helped. And then also, like I saw the other day, four years ago, I was prepping with Paul for my last meet. And like, I was way bigger. You know, I was, I felt like a million dollars. You know, my life was shit back then. Don't get me wrong. I had a lot of stuff going on, but like, I was the biggest and strongest I've ever been. And I felt so good. And, but in one minute I was like kind of depressed. I'm like, man, I miss doing that. I miss training hard, pushing myself in that outlet. But at the same minute I was like, I wasn't supposed to theoretically do that back then. So what am I theoretically not supposed to do now that I can still do something, you know, similar, right? It's like, what is my next limit? I don't know. 
but I'm kind of, I'm excited to find out, like to test that a bit to see, okay, where can I get now? Because I got there, and that's like 30 pounds heavier than I ever should have been, way stronger than I ever should have been. Shouldn't have lifted more than 50 pounds. I lifted over 500. You know, like all these kind of objective measures. I'm like, okay, that's very exciting for me for what I can do going forward. So. I don't know what it looks like now, but that's kind of my process now. Like literally currently is what's my next stage? What does my next block of life look like? And what can I do to kind of replace that feeling I used to get, but like with a different feeling, I kind of equate it to when I played in metal bands, you play in front of like 500 people and it's like this feeling that nobody can ever experience unless you do it. Powerlifting was kind of like the same thing for me. I got out of playing big shows, started lifting heavy weights. It's like, okay, what am I getting that now? And speaking is doing that now because it's nerve wracking. I'm nervous as fuck. I'm not like clear in front of people. It's this new thing that I can try to tackle and try to help people go through whatever they're going through. And it doesn't really matter to me what it is. Just as long as it's like, I want to say refreshing almost, you know, as you, I'm sure you can relate, you share vulnerability. Other people are more prone to share their vulnerability as well, but like nobody wants to go first. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm trying to be that first person. It's like, yeah, I'll tell you about whatever I'm dealing with. I, that's fine by me. If that in turn helps you somehow feel empowered to deal with what you're doing. So I think that's kind of where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. I don't know when they were all locked up in our fucking houses. So, you know, what do we do? Well, I think like what you said there about like people knowing you as like the, the stronger guy and like people knowing me as a little girl, it's sort of like, well, mm-hmm. if that's why they like you, like that's more representation of their low qualities rather than who. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's yeah, hard it's just because uh, it, it's easy. It's easy to attach yourself to an identity because it it almost seems to give you like, uh, oh, what am I doing? Well, I'm this or I'm that. Yeah, it's I like a belief system. That. Yeah, sure. right. It, I, yeah. And it, it it makes you comfortable. It does because you're not like, oh, I'm still searching to find myself or whatever. I'm a, or I'm punchy paquette. I punch shit. You know what I mean? Like. Yep eventually I'm going to be old and I'm not going to be able to punch anymore. <laughs> and what happens? Am I going to just, am I going to be like a sellout version of myself? I've had the same kind of battles um, thinking about that as you have muscle bill. And I'm just like, in the end, it's, we're just being hard on ourselves. Exactly. And yeah. 100%. That's all it is. Like once upon a time, I don't know you Darian enough to get into examples of your life, but muscle bill at one time you were the, uh, heavy metal fucking bah, long yeah, hair yeah. going yeah. all over the place. Like that was your identity, right? At that point, like yeah. everything. Was, I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, I was lifting weights at that time me, too, but flash forward me. I don't know you that way. I know the shaved head muscle yeah. beard. Like that's the guy I know who only serenades girls once in a while in the <laughs> yeah. uh, corridors. <laughs> like, I don't know you. <laughs> So I mean, the girls identity. that are visited by other roommates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, identity is just—it's yeah. so we blow it so out of proportion. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah, we can't put much weight into it. There's two big issues there we just touched on: identity and idle hands. And for me, I struggle more with idle hands, much like you do, Darian, rather than rather than identity. Like my, I'm my own worst enemy when I'm bored. Like my mind just—it yeah. doesn't even make sense. It makes no sense to where it goes. I don't know why it goes that way. I just, I just know that I got to keep busy or else I go to this, those places. And I really feel for some people because they're not as, uh, their self-awareness isn't as high as, as where we're at, right? Uh, there's, there's different levels, but I believe that 
all three of us were self-aware to a certain degree where we could handle these situations. There's a lot of people out there that are just overwhelmed with these idle hands all of a sudden, and they can't even diagnose. They're just going crazy. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't know what's going on. They don't know how to diagnose it. They don't even, they don't even know. They don't know where to start. Well, part of like developing, like how do you shift out of like this fixed mind, uh, growth mindset is by taking like the concepts that you've learned and then applying them to others. Like, because that's how we do learn things is that we start teaching it to others. Yeah. So then like, it's when you get to the end of the road and you, this is no longer your identity. Well, how can you take what you learned from your own experience and having that identity to then help other people who are stuck in that, in that frame? For sure. Yeah, for sure. I don't, I don't know really how I would help someone that's that if someone came to me with that problem and I, and I have a few friends that uh, luckily I've had my fighting and I've had my life. They're two different things, but I've had a lot, I have a lot of friends that the fighting is their only, that's all they've been doing their whole life, right? They've been in a gym. They've been fighting professionally. Now they've gotten old. Like I'm old now they're getting to that age and they don't know what to do with themselves. They're no longer that fighter that was on TV you know, they're yeah. no longer the shark in the, in the gym. There's new young bloods. And uh, when they talk to me about it, I really don't have an answer. I'm just like, it's, this is life. Like that was a chapter. You just get it. You just got to flip the page, go on to the next thing, right? You're still going to be who you are to your close friends. They don't give a shit while, if you're fighting or not. But as, as far as something like soothing or how to help yeah. someone in that situation, I have no idea. I just say, you gotta, you gotta move forward. I don't know if you, if you have any better suggestions of that for people, I don't know. No, I agree. Like you just need to turn the page and then keep moving forward. And that's what I was saying, like about taking what you learn and then applying it to whatever it is you're doing next. Yeah, that's, that's a good tip is really just break down what you've been doing, what you've been learning, how that could apply to other stuff. Mm. Like yeah. myself, I'm going more the uh, uh, emergency side of things. Instead of trying to beat people up, I'm trying to help them out right? That's my, that's my next thing in life. If I'm not going to be the fighter, now I'll be the guy that helps you instead, you know, with the fire department, the mine rescue, whatever, whatever, because yeah. the fighter's not always going to last. But then again, I don't attach myself to it so much that if I'm not doing it, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, that's just, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's, it's obviously all mindset and you don't, you can't put much weight on identity or how people perceive you and people don't care nearly as much as you think. People don't give a shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I understand it. Great. I think like it is for me, like the, the scariest part is like that. I, I really don't know what the identity will be after having an eating disorder. But then I yeah. think like the part of the excitement is figuring that out. Like I've got, especially now, like when you said, how am I dealing lo with lockdown? It's like, okay, well, I can use this time to really discover who mm -hmm. I am. Yeah. Do you find there's something you could do in doses potentially like once lockdown's all done or even if say it goes for another year, but like, would you start to schedule board time sort of instead of like meditation and walking and all these other things that can also be absolutely beneficial, but like, I'm just going to schedule two minutes to sit in this room without my phone, without anything. And then I'm going to schedule five minutes or like, you know, and do a progressive overload with your exposure to boredom. You think that would be beneficial? I don't know. Um, yeah, I think it would. Like, I, I just, I think it would be something that I would definitely have to introduce in small portions. Like, yeah, yeah. like even if it's just like sort of half an hour, I was like, okay, well, there's nothing to do for this half an hour. And that's all I'm going to do is nothing. Um, yeah, that could be a good idea. I, I haven't really thought about that. And that, it's, it's not, like going back out of lockdown is definitely something that I thought about. And it's like, well, I found comfort now 
in doing all these other, for me, much more productive things because at the time, like the time that I'm of my life, that I mean, right now I need these things more than what I need the others. Um, mm-hmm. That what happens when I don't have time for these things anymore, when I go back to working and, you know, yeah. seeing clients for, you know, six or eight hours a day, it's, it's, it's not going to be the greatest. I, 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 just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to handle that. So this is something um, I, I talked with a friend of mine relatively recently about as well, but the idea that even just in how you're saying, um, I'm going to do nothing for this half an hour. Uh, I found not being able to do anything kind of uh, also empowering in the sense that that nothing isn't actually nothing because as we talked a little bit about allostatic load, but that half an hour of doing nothing can help you benefit and be more productive in the next day, right? So instead of thinking this hour I'm doing nothing, so this sucks, I'm bored, and I don't know what I'm going to do, I'm kind of scared. It's like, you know what? If I take this half an hour or an hour or five minutes to be bored, this is actually productive time because I'm stepping back from all this bullshit happening in my life and I'm sitting with my thoughts, whatever that looks like, and then I'm using it as also growth to move forward, right? So check mark, box complete for my day. I took five minutes by myself. I was bored. That's like, it's a win, right? Like make your bed, take five minutes, then meditate on it or whatever, do your walk. I don't know, but kind of the idea that it's not doing nothing when it's something that you kind of, you can do for a benefit for yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. I call it it deloading instead of just doing nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's same exact event, yeah, different perspective. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think, like, it, yeah, it's about looking at that, too. Like, even now, if I sit down and watch a movie, like, I'm like, what am I doing my time? Like, why am I sitting and watching yeah. a movie? It's not going to get me anywhere. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think it's about, yeah, working out that you do, you need that downtime. Sure. Was there anything that you're working on right now Is like, a, a passion project or something moving forward? Do you have a macro challenge, anything you want to talk to people about? Um, um yeah. yeah so like i i'm in the process of getting an ebook published at the moment um so that will be oh. on not eating disorders and in the sense that like looking at the medical side of things and what i think that we should we could be doing better in the medical system to help people with eating disorders um as opposed to their current approach um yeah, yeah so that will be hopefully out within the next couple of weeks um that's probably the biggest oh. project at the moment well, I hope they read that because this whole two security guards pinning you down system can't be the best. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, I've learned so much from this podcast so far. It's it's crazy. Even like Can I ask you, a quick question? Can I interrupt yeah. you for a quick question for yeah. a quick question here? If I was to come to you uh like you're as you being my coach, and I said, Would you encourage or discourage having food as a reward? Um, I would probably discourage it like the same way, like when people kind of think that if they eat a certain amount of calories, they have to exercise and like that exercise kind of becomes, uh, like a compensating behavior. Um, I don't think, I don't think we need food (laughs) as exercise, uh, sorry, as rewards. Like, and I think that the whole thing about, you know, when people look at, um, are looking forward to a cheat day and it's like, well, do you actually enjoy the food that you get to eat on that cheat day and how you feel afterwards? Or are you just looking to the, forward to the idea of having this dramatic cheat day? Right. I definitely don't look forward to how I feel the day after. That's for no. sure. <laughs> yeah. No, but I do use it in ways that are very discouraged by a lot of people 
that uh, have had any kind of eating disorders or actually a lot of nutritionists just say it's a bad idea, but I do use it as a reward system a lot of the time. However, when you describe the reward itself, to me, it is all about how the food tastes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I fully, I just, I smoke one of these bad boys here (laughs) and I enjoy it all day. Like I love it. I love it. I'm not stressed about it. I don't feel guilty. It's just like, because if I didn't exercise or if I didn't use it as a reward, I would feel guilty. I'd be like, Oh, I'm just a pig that ate a brownie with all this ice cream and shit. Like, what am I doing? But if I did a, if I smashed a heavy workout or whatever, I'm like, Hey, if I do an extra, you know, this is probably so bad. If I go run a kilometer, I get a brownie tonight. <laughs> so <laughs> well, I, guilt, I, though, I, use that yeah. system. I, I just, I don't, I don't like. I don't think it's frowned. Like I think I'm going more like the sense of someone who has had an eating disorder that they shouldn't be using it like as a compensated way, like earning your calories, I guess. And I guess that's okay. like when it kind of becomes bad, like when you do take that day off, and people are always like, okay, well, how much should I cut my calories down by? And it's like, well, no, because you deserve those from the hard week you've had, like the, all that work that you put in all week. That's why you get to eat these calories today. Um, but I think like that becomes very negative when we're talking about people perceiving that as a bad thing or like feeling guilty for eating that brownie because they didn't work hard enough for it. Like I'm sure if you still ate that brownie, but you didn't go for that run, it wouldn't really be a big deal. You're yeah. probably right. And I do agree. It's not a good system as a moving forward to anybody who has a disorder because I think it's a disorder all to itself. Just like the other night, it was uh, it was shitty out, and uh, I bought some snack foods, uh, Haagen-Dazs ice cream, and I wasn't going to touch it, and I told myself I wasn't going to touch it. Like, I bought it just so it would sit in the freezer to prove to myself that I wouldn't eat it. And then what I did was I had a little self-talk session. I'm like, well, Joel, if you go out in the shit and prove to yourself you really deserve this ice cream, you could eat it. So I put on my shoes, and I went running down the road, and back, it's two kilometer run, not not much. And I and I got back all excited. I get to eat ice cream. Like, what <laughs> the fuck kind of behavior is that? <laughs> it's the Joel we know and love, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna touch that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna get it. <laughs> all right. I think right. even um, I think even though like when we're talking about sort of the the security guards pinning people down, even just the whole concept of being in a hospital to gain weight, it's like if you put someone who was overweight in hospital to come out at a normal weight, how long do you think it would be till they got out till they went back to being overweight? Like, Why do we think yeah. it works the opposite way? Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. You're right. I hope a lot of people read this book. It's obviously super important. Yeah, I think it's going to – like it's – it does at the end, it finishes with some like a sort of mental stuff that people can help that can help people. But I honestly like I'm not targeting towards people with eating disorders because like I said, when I was in it, I didn't want to know about it. Like I didn't want anyone to touch me or confront yeah. me. Yeah. But I think it could be yeah. a good way to raise awareness for friends and family of loved ones suffering with an eating disorder. Right. I've heard yeah, you say before, idea. it's like I'm not gonna read a book about it because I'm fucking living it every day. Yeah. And Plus, I've never read a book about anything, so chances are I'm just going to live my life how I'm living, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> but it's true. Like, yeah. if I'm dealing with bullshit, I mean, as much as it's probably beneficial, I don't feel like reading about it because I'm already overwhelmed with living it all day, every day anyway. So why would I dive in d- deeper 
and like spend more time, focus more energy on something I don't want to even deal with in the first place, right? Yeah, and an interesting, an interesting concept there. Like when I, I don't have any pictures from when I was admitted to ICU. I don't know what I looked like or how skinny I was. Like I had pictures from when I was smaller, but none when I was at my worst. And everyone wanted to take pictures, but I always said no. And there was two reasons behind it. Like the one, I didn't want to look at it and see that I was really skinny and then like, you know, be in this process of, okay, well, I need to recover or um, I need to get better because like my eating disorder didn't want me to notice what was going on. And then the other aspect was it was like, what if I look at it and I don't see myself as that bad? Yeah. And then everyone's making all this. Yeah. And then everyone, yeah, everyone's looking at it and everyone's like, tell me I need to look skinny. And I look at it and I'm like, I look fine. Like, um, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. So Good I, on you, though, for seeing. That's why you're so smart. Good <laughs> on you for knowing that. That's yeah, great. No. Brilliant. She's a brilliant mind. Absolutely. Thank you. That's great. Funny, that happened with my first with my first wife too. When we when we separated, <laughs> all, all my pictures on Facebook went away mind. for two years. I had no pictures of myself for two years. They just all disappeared when we got weren't friends anymore. I'm like, ah, fuck. What happened? I don't even. I don't remember. What <laughs> <laughs> How old this? Uh, First off, that's that's great that uh, the way you're attacking it because it sounds like the problem is totally dismissed. If you're if you're in, if it's happening to you, it, you're totally dismissing it. So the only way to treat it is for having to have a support system, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and I think that goes back so, to like my mom not trying to push this recovery before I turned eighteen. Like if the, if everyone kind of just accepts that it'll be something that I deal with for the rest of my life, but get better at dealing with then when I need that help and I need to reach out, I can say, hey, mom, look, like, I'm not doing so well. Like, I haven't stopped binging or purging for the past three days and I don't know what to do with myself. Whereas if she was like, you know, if I felt like she was always trying to step in and intervene, then I might feel, like, unsafe to go and approach her about it because I always was telling her everything was okay. So she would leave me alone. And you're at a part of your life where you want to be rebellious, rebellious too, right? And so it's hard to be like, listen to your mom tell you this isn't something you should do and you're like well i'll do whatever i want you can't tell me what to do right hormones are a bitch yeah when you're 13 14 15 yeah i've got a funny story about when i was um uh, how i would have been maybe 17 and my it was my brother's 21st birthday um and i was around the corner at my friend's place and i was doing what joel is doing right now and (laughs) i i came over later and my mum pulled me aside and I was like, I'm in so much shit. Like I've just missed out on half my brother's 21st birthday because I was around the corner getting high. And then she she pulled me into the garage and she pulls out this bong and she's like, can you show me how to do it? (laughs) No way. Only when I'm around, mum. Only when I'm around. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Give me your car keys. restrictions on that right away. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. That's yeah. But yeah, I was no, that I, child. And unfortunately, I gave my mom a hard time when I was, yeah, around 17, just going out and doing what I wanted. Yeah. That's life. How will people yeah. uh, get in touch with this book? Is it going to be online or just online? Or Yeah, I think I just I wanted to publish it as a hard copy just for keepsake. But I think I'm going to see how it goes online first. And then if people ask for a hard copy, I'll get that done. Um, but I just, I've, apparently like there's a lot more chance of losing a lot more money if you get hard copies printed. So I thought go, yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. Ebook first, see what people think. And you know, they might even want a bigger, better one and then I'll make a hard copy of it. Um, how do you even buy a book online? 
Uh, usually Amazon. Amazon? So you yeah. got to order it? Yeah, well, yeah, that and um, Kindle. But I'll just put it on my website so people can just do it straight through that. And then I'll just get them to download. Yeah. We don't know where to get books from. <laughs> yeah. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a library the other day. It's so true. I'm not going back there. Yeah. It was seriously so full of weirdos. And then there was a guy behind me. Oh, man. Okay. There was a guy behind me. Who looked like he was? He was looking up serial killers and all this shit. I was all I was doing was looking at his because I was just with a chick that was doing something online. She had to send it in for school or some bullshit. I don't. Know. I'm watching this guy and he's looking up all these serial killers, their history and all that. And he's got he's got like half his face covered up and he's got a big backpack. I'm like shit's about to go down in the library here. I'm in what I thought would be the safe spot, but no man. I'm not going back there. All my you, books online from now on. That's it. You know how like there's, uh, I don't know if it's a conspiracy or not, a conspiracy or not, but how like people look at what you Google on the internet and like whether it is stuff like serial killer and that. Do you reckon they have like detectives in libraries like looking at what books you're picking? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, you know. They should. Yeah. Or like, you know, if someone grabbed like a book on pedophilia, I was like, hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah. Do they make books on that? <laughs> I don't know. Do they? Surely there's like So speaking about a place to lose money, like if you're going to print a hard copy book about pedophilia, that seems a little bit aggressive. Like I'm going to drop <laughs> so much cash into a hard book <laughs> and then put it in the library. That's a hard sell. That's a hard yeah. sell. I'm not going to read it. But, it's either I mean, a hard sell or a good, like, that's a good investment right there. <laughs> yeah, you got to experience or not yeah. up to snuff in their detective skills or anything like that. I don't know. <laughs> not the librarian I dealt with anyways, but maybe yeah. other locations are different. <laughs> I've never yeah. noticed it here, but I've never been to a library, so. Yeah. You've I never been to a library? library? No, I did in school, but not since. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been to one, Muscle Bill, outside of school? Yeah, I went. I've I've got a library card, so I could use the printer before. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. Though I was in London, and then the one I live across the street from one right now. So, I've been in there oh, a couple times, print out. Yeah, yeah, we had to, we went there for. Uh, she had to print some off and then to send a fax. We had no fax. This was before social distancing, though, right? Yeah, yeah, right before. Librarians are such like at the, some of the nastiest people as well. They're so unhappy <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I'll, I'll interject and say I know there. one librarian. Actually, I know two librarians, and they're quite pleasant. Oh, but, oh yeah. Uh, they yeah. must be Canadian librarians. Well, Australian ones, sure, yeah. yeah. The Australian ones aren't that friendly. <laughs> I'll tell you, Teeswater. I don't think has one Australian, so it's uh, yeah. <laughs> I've all I met a. I was at the uh, Mine Rescue World Competition 2016 or 17. And uh, the team we got along with the best was the Australians because you're just a bunch of haywires like us. <laughs> the Australian team just wanted to drink booze. We stole your inflatable kangaroo the one night. We we're all drunk. And you guys <laughs> brought a big inflatable kangaroo everywhere. Then we stole it, but it was all in good fun. And then we we're all drinking together. Uh, that's my only experience with a bunch of Australians. And it was awesome. Out of everybody there, all the countries, there was a ton of countries. Canada and Australia, we linked up hard. <laughs> well, when um, I was telling um, Bill that I want to go up there soon, once yeah. lockdown is over, I'll be going down, so I'll make sure I bring a kangaroo. 
Oh, nice. that'd be sick. Nice. Can you bring me like that across the border? I don't know if you can fly. No, I'm, I meant um, a fake one. Oh, I was like, a real one? <laughs> I don't have a, both of us want dogs, so that'd be like the perfect, maybe we can split a kangaroo pet, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah, well, yeah, safe, safe. I, I can probably get the dogs over and then we'll go house on those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. That's great. It's one of your, uh, your uh, what the hell, seeing eye kangaroos. Just wear a dark pair of glasses and let the kangaroo lead its way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good tip. Is there anything else you want to cover on I had a girl pretend to do that at a hotel. Sorry. Side story. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I, I had this girl who had a dog, a German Shepherd, loved the dog, and we went and rented a hotel. There was no hotels that were pet friendly. So I told the desk, I'm like, listen, my girlfriend's blind. She needs this dog. And you can't be against this dog being here. Like, it's against her rights, blah, blah, blah. Made a stink. They're like, okay. So I made her wear glasses. <laughs> this is probably so bad. Anyways, this is – oh, I can't say her name. Anyways, I'll tell you after Russellville. Anyways, she's <laughs> – the dog's leading her in the hotel. <laughs> and then the dog's going <laughs> – dog goes under the stairs. So she goes and she ducks under the stairs. I told her after, I'm like, you ducked under the stairs. Like, you, you blew your cover once you're ducking under, mo moving under material. <laughs> <laughs> right in front of the front desk, she ducks under this thing, goes by it. It's the dog's tail. <laughs> it's okay. Her dog was in there. It was all good. She just had to pretend to be blind. She wasn't a fan of it, but hey, we got things done. I'm sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, bring a kangaroo. That'd be great. It'd be great if you came down. Let's yeah. Immerse you in some of the Canadian culture. I don't know how much uh, different we are, but. Thank you. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to cover on here before we go? Uh, not me in particular. Yourself? Yeah. All right. How do people get a hold of you? Uh, on Instagram, it's at Coach Darian Bates. And my website is www.dazespt.com. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Um, as always, make an appointment and donate blood if you can. I think right now I've been seeing some advertisements. People are, or they're looking for donors with all the stuff. They're still accepting it, but uh, oh, you're allowed right now. Yeah, I, I haven't looked into the details, but I've I follow the Canada Blood Bank, and they're still looking for donors. So, cool. Um, if you're able to, you can still do it. Make an appointment to save a life. Save a life, and they give good treats. Good treats. Which doesn't facilitate an eating disorder, hopefully. So I don't know how to deal with that <laughs> whole thing. But you don't, don't start donating blood so then you can get free cookies every day and get anemic and stuff. I don't know. Perfect <laughs> ending to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you so well, much, yeah, Darian. That was great. Yeah, thanks for your time. It's awesome. Thank you. No, thank you. I really appreciate it.